about that time, about that time, about that time, yeah, about that time. Welcome to the jungle, the Auburn men's basketball podcast. And pick it up right where Kessler left off, it's Broome with the block. Auburn men, talking Auburn men's basketball. We missed you, the jungle is already in mid-season form. No feelings, no gimmicks. Just ball. Benny Johnson in transition. Now, here's your host, Matt Donaldson and Jackson Garrett. All right, guys, it's Jackson back in the hosting chair after being gone for a game or two. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back with a win. We just beat the Ole Miss Rebels by four points, 78-74. I believe we only have one more home game after this, so... Great to get another home win. Uh, always fun to, you know, we can't, we got to appreciate every single one of these from our reigning SEC champ. I kind of had that epiphany while listening into the, the old episodes. We got to say that as much as possible before the other teams lock it in. Reigning SEC champs. But uh, Matt's on, and we have uh, another guest, uh, Barrett Ermshire from the Nashville Auburn Club. We were just so impressed by the Nashville Auburn Club and the, the reaction from the fans and how many showed up to that Vandy game. Matt was there in person to enjoy it. We thought we'd have somebody on from the club just to hear a little about the organization and hear how that all came together. Welcome, Barrett. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, Well, let me me kind of frame that a little bit. So, Barrett, maybe walk people through. It was a huge weekend, Friday night event, Saturday game, Tiger Walk, biggest Tiger Walk ever, allegedly, for basketball, probably. Um, Just walk us through what that looked like from a planning perspective. And I know y'all been planning for this for a long time. Yeah. So we already had contacts at Vanderbilt from um, when the women's game was here in January of 22. And so we knew the men's team was going to be here this season. So we actually started talking to them back in the summer. I think it was like June of 22. So it was a long time, a long time coming um, because we wanted to get in front of it and get as much done on the front end as possible. So when it came time for the game to be announced, we were, we were ready to go. Um, so I think Auburn announced it early September. And we saw, you know, it's Saturday game, holiday weekend. Um, and then the 730 tip was just like the cherry on top for just an awesome game. Um, and so we knew like this could be a really big moment for like the club and for Auburn in Nashville. Um, so we set our sale date to be October 3rd. Um, but prior to then... Bruce actually retweeted our tweet about it and was he quoted it and was like, we need some witnesses in Nashville. And it totally took it to like a new level. Like we had people in our DMs and our email just like knocking down the doors to be like, how do I get a ticket? Like I'm coming. Um, so that was cool. And it like it took it from a fun thing that we wanted to do for the club and for like local people to, you know, people are gonna be traveling from different states to come here. Like this is this can be big. And so it really kind of took the whole weekend in like a new like universe for us. Um, and so it, it wasn't just for locals, like it's, it's for Auburn fans everywhere now. Um, and so we had that first ticket block, um, which actually sold out in four minutes. Um, so they came and they went and then Vandy was really, really awesome in working with us um, for ticketing. I mean, from selling out our first block, they were able to give us a second block later, which between those two, they added um, single game tickets on sale. So between our ticket blocks alone, we sold, you know, like 900 
tickets for this game. That doesn't count the Auburn fans went through the single game tickets. So, you know, we're looking at well over a thousand people from Auburn. And if you were in Memorial Gym, then you, you know, that was definitely accurate. Is there, um, is there an estimated number on how many Auburn people were in the gym? I mean, I know that's hard. I've been saying like 4,000. I'd say probably like four or five because it holds a little over 14. And I mean, aside from the Vandy student section, there were, you know, you were hard pressed to find a group of Vandy people in that, in that stadium. I mean, in that. It, it feels like we got a little bit of an untapped potential that finally was tapped there in Nashville. Then this was yeah. kind of that first, you know, we've had some good SEC tournament uh, turnout. We've had other events in Nashville. We've had football or we've had the other sport games. I almost, I almost said a, a bad word there. Uh, so it's been it's been cool to see that the how much it's grown too. And there's three big things I saw from social media and hearing from Matt that I want to hear about. And let me know if there's any other big highlights for you. Uh, the governor of Tennessee showed up. Bruce Pearl showed up and gave a speech. It looked like, and the uh, Koreans Memorial Bridge was orange. And I'm, I used to live in Asheville, so I know these names. I know these places. And those three seemed like really cool to me. I mean, walk me through each one of what you heard and what people were talking about. Yeah. So I'll start with. Friday night, which I think was probably the coolest event for a lot of people. Um, it was at the Lowe's Hotel at Vanderbilt, which they were also like, shout out to them for being awesome hosts of us. They made everything super smooth. They worked with us so like awesomely over the months we were trying to plan it. Um, and we sold about 160 tickets for that event. It was sold out. Um, it was, you know, drink tickets, heavy hors d'oeuvres. Um, we had a sound auction, sorry, a live auction. Um, which actually raised $8,000 in one night for our endowed scholarship. So huge, um, huge win there. But um, yeah, Bruce actually, him and the team landed about 645 and he was in the room at by 715, um, him and Chad Pruitt. So he came and I mean, he walked in the doors and it was just like everyone in the room lit up. Um, He got to have a picture, a handshake. I mean, I didn't hear one person in the room that didn't get to have their you know, a couple minutes with him. He was, he was awesome. And was just like such, I mean, he's just, he's just a great guy. Like if you ever have gotten the privilege to be in the same room as him, like it's, it's super special. And he got up and said a few words and it's in the video on our socials, but he stands up and says, you know, I knew there'd be some fans in, in Nashville, but I had no clue it was going to be this kick-ass. Like he was, he was really impressed. And um, yeah, Governor Lee um, came and hung out for, a little bit him and him and Bruce had had a little moment um so Friday night was awesome having them two there and then talking about the bridge so one of our um leadership members I guess knew some of the right people and had reached out a couple months ago and we were planning you know is this a possibility and they were just kind of like maybe maybe not not really something that we do we'll let you know and I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday. She got a text back saying, Hey, like, you're also interested in the lights. And she was like, uh, of course. <laughs> and even then we were like, Oh, like we really hope we follow through on this. And sure enough, I, I drove through, I guess, like over on 40 after the um, reception on Friday night, it was just like gawking at the orange and blue bridge. Like it was just super awesome. It was, yeah, was, it was really I, cool. Even after the loss, I drove. I made sure to yeah. drive over there and just get a good panoramic of it. It was great. Yeah, I've got to see a, a list of all the things people have turned orange and blue for Auburn. I know I live in New York, <laughs> and I know we've the Empire State Building's been orange and blue for our Final Four run. I know the I I myself controlled the controls to the H and M building to make it go orange and blue, which is not rare. You could find oh, an awesome. app to do that. 
And then, so we got those two and we got the bridge now in Nashville. I'd love to, I wonder if there's any others out there, if there's any listeners out there that know about some more orange and blue landmarks. I know uh, the Tampa Bay club had a big showing last year. I know there's different clubs all over the country. So I'd love to hear it. Uh, Matt, do you have any other highlights for yourself that you want to ask them about how that came together? Uh, from my end, no, not necessarily. Um, I didn't get to go Friday night, but I just thought everything on Saturday was awesome. Tiger Walk was incredible. We haven't even touched on that. Like I think everybody who was, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was phenomenal. It really was just the amount of people and uh, the Auburn media team did a great job kind of highlighting that. If you weren't there, we put some stuff on our socials while I was there. Um, that was the main thing. And then overall, just, you know, Jackson and I've followed Auburn basketball for a long time, way before anything like this was possible. So it was super cool for me as a Nashville local, you know, I appreciate so much what y'all did because it, it, it was this whole experience that was very unique for me as a big Auburn fan who's been here almost 10 years. Like it, it still had this uh, just walking around town on Saturday, people were everywhere. So um, even with the loss, as frustrating as it was, if you were at the game or you watched it, I, I still felt like it was such a special, awesome day. And I hope you guys at the club. Totally. Too. Sometimes yeah. it's, uh, you know, we don't always win on the court, but sometimes it's bigger to win culturally in my opinion, you know, we're building a culture as Bruce talks about. So I thought that even though that ended up being a loss this year in my head, you guys brought a win. Uh, the last thing, I have two more things I wanted to ask you about before I let you go. One, uh, what's going on in the SEC tournament? You've had such a big showing with Vandy. You know, that's probably one of the big steps me and Matt have talked about. Kentucky fans always take over Nashville. And I was down there recently looking around at all the SEC fans. I'd love to hear if there's some hype building for the SEC tournament now. Yeah, so we're still working with the Auburn Alumni Association to really like nail down our details. But we know right now we'll have um, some different like casual gatherings down by by Bridgestone for fans like before and in between um, the games um, and then watch parties at Dogwood, which is um, the bar that we have like a little partnership with, if you want to call it. They're also awesome. Shout out to to, to Dogwoods. We have our football and basketball watch parties so working on details it'll be on all of our socials as soon as we get it um no doubt we're super excited about that in future saturday march 4th the last regular season game also a watch party at dogwood so if you're local yeah. if you're in nashville that weekend don't forget about that and really? we don't talk about another really big sport in the south on this podcast but they that sport will be visiting in the fall uh <laughs> nashville which i've I've been here. This will be my 10th or 11th football season. It has not happened since I've been here. So I'm well, he still said it. He still said it out loud. <laughs> after all that, after all our connecting about it, we try our best on this podcast. I'm trying to pump the uh, local club, man. What, like, what is the cool opportunity? What's the name of the president of the Nashville Auburn club? Uh, it is Evan Thomas. Evan Thomas. Shout out. He's been doing a great job there. If you want uh, any other names you want to shout out. Yeah. So shout out to Evan Thomas, our president. And then Lindsay Perriott is our secretary but she's also just um an incredible force and helps organize everything and make sure that everything that we do is just like 10 times better than um what we could have ever dreamed of and she keeps us all um in line uh, here's <laughs> in my, the best my way. here's my last bit here and you might not be able to help me with this i don't know how new you are to nashville uh matt was matt was in nashville i believe when i first moved to nashville right mm -hmm. uh, when i moved to nashville in 2013 14 15 area i can't exact the exact dates the nashville auburn club was almost non-existent i would tell anyone that would listen when i was graduating some people were going to atlanta some people were going to birmingham and shout out those places they're great and all i said the next place for auburn alums the place young people want to go is nashville so i went to nashville nothing the first 
F word season, I was there. The very first game was against Louisville. And I, me and I believe Cameron and maybe Matt went to the Buffalo Wild Wings in Franklin. That was the official watch spot. The Buffalo Wild Wings in Franklin. If you live in Nashville, you know, that's like 30, 45 minutes away. You want to get drunk at the game and watch a big game. And going to the Buffalo Wild Wings Franklin was really disappointing. There was no other Auburn fans there. It was just us three watching the game. So disappointing. And I wanted to shout out me and so I was, I ended up creating me, Abby Lemon and Scott Yerkes. I don't know if they're, uh, you know, listen, or if anybody's got connection with them or if they're still in Nashville or not, we started the young Auburn alumni club. Cause we were so frustrated that there was no place for young Auburn alumni to meet and hang out. We started meeting at uh, the tin roof. They had a drink called the tiger juice. That was awful made with vanilla vodka and orange juice. It was so bad, but it kind of sparked something by the, you know, I left about a year, year and a half later, but before then we had these big watch parties at 10 roof. We went to uh losers. I bet, I think a couple of times we had some uh, bar crawls that were really fun. And I always wondered, you know, there, I thought it was untapped potential. There was so many young Auburn fans that were around. There just wasn't that leadership that needed to be there. I left for New York and I never really looked back at the Auburn club. And then all of a sudden last year or two, it's blown up. It's huge. It's exactly what I hoped it would be. And I don't, you probably can't help with this. I don't know. Maybe you can. I always wanted to know where that gap was, that bridge between like, I left. It wow. seemed kind of fizzle. Matt might know what I'm talking about. I want to know how it got there, how we have gone on this huge trajectory. Yeah. So that is Evan Thomas and Lindsay Perriott. <laughs> I was going to so, say, you, you, the things you've heard about the last year or two, that started building, man, five years ago, six, the years kind of get away. What was the in-between like, Matt? You were there for it. Who was, was, who stepped in between? Was it still Abby Lemon and Scott Yerkes? I need to, I need to text them and see what they were up to. I I don't remember specifically. I just remember there was a pretty big rebirth there right before COVID, the year before COVID. That sounds right. Um, And it's really, it's been super impressive to watch. I'm glad you shouted out those two. I I know them somewhat well. Not great, but they know who I am, I think. And uh, they've done a great job. And we've really started to see the benefit and Nashville just continues to boom. So it's a great opportunity. And Jackson's right. Like it's, it's the the place in the South and there's a ton of Auburn connections here. There really are. And I'm sure Friday night for you guys at the get together, you just see those all over the place, you know, of, of all the people who love Auburn in this city. Yeah. And I feel lucky because I just, I came on with the club just about a year ago. And so I'm getting to kind of reap the benefits that Lindsay and Evan have really like put in place over the past, I guess, four years, because they'll be the first to tell you that when they inherited it, dug it back up, like it was really a a project of passion and love for them. Um, it, it was a lot of TLC. And I know I've witnessed a lot of their hard work, late nights, long days, stressful, you know, I mean, Lindsay's doing a whole lot with a baby on the way and Evan's been out of town. So they're just a really awesome team. And I mean, they're some of Auburn's biggest fans and um, it's really cool to see. And um, Jackson to talk about young alumni is that was a big priority of mine when I came on was just taking this whole like young alumni community and really activating them. So that's been a priority of this leadership term. Um, We have a whole separate committee within, um, leadership that focuses only on that we had a happy hour back in October at Sandbar that was one of the most well-attended events that the club's ever had um, because there are just a lot of new grads from Auburn who are moving here I mean 
you're I'm seeing a shift from the Birmingham and Atlanta to more of like a Nashville Charlotte um with emphasis kind of on Nashville I'm just I'm I've been out of school for two years and I'm just so impressed with how many people are coming here so we're working really hard to get great programming um in line for the young alumni but also you know for our established alumni and uh, I think Friday was really cool kind of like mix of all the age groups you know it can be really tough to appeal to our young alumni who love a watch party at Dogwood and maybe aren't so enthused about a live auction in a ballroom. Um, but Friday and Saturday, all in all, like just really brought together everyone. And Tiger Walk was that moment where we like looked around. I mean, we had four people just getting content. Um, people selling our Bruce Pearls, if you've seen those. Um, I think we had like six or eight people there. And um, just like looking at each other with like, goosebumps saying you know this is this, this was a really great culmination of the past four years and it was super special for Lindsay and Evan and and for the rest of us so it's been really cool and we have a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pike for the rest of this year especially in in the spring and summer so awesome very cool well we love having you on appreciate it. if you're if you're in the Nashville area check them out it seems like they got a great organization going on Barrett thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me and um we're on Instagram at Auburn nashville we got some fun stuff you're, you're not at the and... you're not at the greater nashville auburn club or young alumni anymore <laughs> oh right? that's the is that is that the... my is that my old group that still has people <laughs> yeah. commenting on it looking for tickets for the vandy game we'll, yeah. maybe we'll delete that <laughs> get rid of it for the confusion <laughs> yeah um but the one thing i'll add we're having a preds night on the 14th i know this is a basketball podcast but if you're in oh no we hey, we go in with the preds man fang fingers yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool march bear 14th, right? yep march 14th so Good great stuff. to have you on man thanks for you guys war eagle man, cool all was- right well let's get wow. into the game here i i loved it sorry if i uh you know wanted to talk about my my old glory days of the young national auburn club i don't know if anyone remembers that at all i remember working very hard at that and uh it's just really cool to see that that the potential I saw has been untapped now. Yeah, absolutely. And my transition sentence would be, I, I saw no less than 10 people at that game that I had no idea were going to be there. Like friends just walking in and around the pretty much all inside the arena, honestly. So um, super cool. It was awesome. <laughs> Wish we could have won. We didn't, <laughs> you and I didn't get to comment on that, uh, that game, but anyway, Ole Miss, we, we saw our life flash before our eyes, Jackson. We saw our tournament resume flash before our eyes, but we got to win. Um, we we absolutely had to have. I know people are going to poo-poo this, and you and I will probably disagree on some things, but if you don't think games like this are important, all you got to do is think about losing it and what it does to you. Bruce said it, it could do catastrophic damage to our resume, and he was right given who we still have to play. So I'm really pumped we, we managed to hold on. There's a lot. We can't play like that down the stretch. But we got the one we needed. It's been a couple of games like this. Uh, we talked about the Missouri game a week or so ago that Bruce like came out of, and and people don't say this very often. Coaches don't say this very often. Said that it was a must-win game. Like that can break your team if you lose the must-win game that your coaches hyped up so much. So they had the best game of the year maybe against Missouri. This game, he didn't come out and say the same things, but there was definitely some pressure on this game. We've talked about in past episodes, we've got to beat these bad teams to get into the tournament right now. We cannot expect to win in Lexington or at Bama or at home against Tennessee right now, the way we're playing or the way we've played this whole year. This game was frustrating, like this team has been all year. Uh, This game ended up being 
if we had lost this game, it would have changed the whole trajectory of how I thought about the season. It would have gone from, unless we somehow pulled off one of those others, which I don't expect, then this would have been the game we would look back and say, this is where it turned into a bad season, a disappointing season. Right now, after winning this game, even if we lose in Lexington and at, at Bama and at home against Tennessee, it'll be, hey, we're still going to make the tournament. It's fine. It was a fine season. We did like, not happy necessarily, but not upset. This, like, it's a big deal. That's what I'm trying to get to. It's just a big deal. And I hope we can pull off, like, if we can pull off one of those three upsets in the next three games, any one of those three, I will feel like, hey, this, all right this season was okay. You know, like we got like right now we don't have a good win. That's my big thing. When I look back on the season right now, we will not have a win that I can look back to and say, that was fun. That was a fun win. We, we did something that year. We did something to our rivals or we, there's won't be anything to point back to. I'm really hoping we can pull on these other ones off, but I know that's get looking forward. So thoughts on this game MVP. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a little harsher than you are. I, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I think if we lose the last three and lose our first SEC tournament game, that would be losing. Uh, it would be a, a ten out of thirteen down the stretch. And I, with our, our numbers are really strong, we're okay. I just don't want to, you know that Vandy game hurt for that reason. Like I think Vandy. I know it seems just like one game, but having a ten and eight SEC record versus a nine and nine with no good, great wins. Missouri's our best win, probably maybe Northwestern. Um, you're right. And now at least we got to nine. We've guaranteed ourselves nine. If we get one more win, we get to 20, which is a big college basketball number, you know, 20 win season. Um, we're close, but now we enter this second three game stretch. We went 0 and three last time with AM, Tennessee, Alabama. I think it was three in a row. Now we get uh, at Kentucky, at Alabama, Tennessee at home. And if we get one, I feel we're, I think we're in. Um, but if we lose all three and we continue to just be frustrating, as you say, it's going to be a dicey SEC tournament and selection Sunday, potentially, I think. Like, I don't think we're ex- expected to win any of those games from a like a, a Vegas standpoint or any kind of metric standpoint. Cause I think we're expected to lose those three. So then when I see the projections of all, like, there's a bunch of different people, Joe Lenardi, a couple of the guys that do projecting for the tournament, they still have us in. And that ha- they have to be expecting. But they have us in by like eight or ten spots. It's not like yeah, we're- but they have to be expecting that the next three are in their heads losses when they do that math. So yeah. I do, yeah, okay, all right. They do it just currently because I I wonder if all of a sudden you start losing those three as much as people say, hey, we're good. You start losing another one, and by the time we look up, we're on the bubble going into SEC tournament. And like you're right, then we lose that first round. All of a sudden, it can get a little squirrely, and it comes down to how many mid majors win their conference, how many other teams that maybe are a little further down, go on a run. All it takes is a, a team like, I don't know, Mississippi State and Missouri, some of those teams that are kind of on that like bubble also, and they beat us immediately, and then they win two or three games, and then the committee looks back and goes, well, in the first round of the SEC tournament, they won against Auburn, so might as well put them in overall, you know. Ultimately, you just don't want to lose four games in a row going to Selection Sunday, and you don't want to lose 10 out of 13 with no good – great wins um it's just not where you want to be i think we might get in but i think any thought that we are like have our ticket punched already is living not in reality i just don't think so to come to this game uh auburn came out got a nine point lead early uh i didn't think the i know y'all in our group chat a lot of overreactions in our group chat that we're not going to get into but um you know the energy did feel a little weird and it just and I for me it was on the defensive end. I, I did not think we defended well enough. I didn't think we rebounded well enough. 
Um, and this is a great example of what happens when we let up, you know, 20% on that identity. And, and it nearly got us against an Ole Miss team that at times looked really good against us, moving the ball down the court, hitting some tough shots. They they kind of punked us at times physically. Um, Kermit Davis, we've talked about, they didn't even switch defenses. And they still played right with us. So uh, tough win. Tough win. We started the game making Kermit Davis take two heat check timeouts early, you know, or however you want to phrase it. They they just did not want us to blow them out early the way we did in Missouri and get away from it. And I agree with them at times. And it kept them in the game the entire time. They didn't pull it off at the end. But I, I agree when you're on the road to just kind of staunch the bleeding, keep the game, slow it down kind of thing. I thought those were good timeouts by him. Uh, they, I, weren't, they weren't heat check timeouts. He was livid that his guys were getting blown by off a of make. Wendell took a couple to coast to coast and the, the the transition defense wasn't there. So those are the first two. And then the last one, my favorite, he called a timeout literally to complain about a no call. And it was his last timeout in the last minute of the game. So I know people like on this podcast to call timeouts. I just well, think we would be giving Kermit Davis way too much credit for his timeout usage if we say that's why they hung in the game. I don't think that. I, I don't like that. I don't know about that last one. I just like the first two where he it seemed like he made sure to get his players' heads right. And I thought oh. that was pretty good on the road. You know, it can really that first couple minutes, if you don't get it right, can be an issue. And I think he kept his players' confidence up. Uh I do think the energy was a little off. I think part of the you you say we overreacted in the text message that we maybe we'll have to do a uh we talked about doing like a bigger group thing with fans or listeners or whatever. If you ever guys ever want to look into it, I can't remember what the, the name of the chat thing is that we would do. But uh, anyways, I, the part of the overreaction is that Ole Miss is the worst team in the SEC, maybe LSU, but they beat Vandy yesterday. So Ole Miss is probably the worst team in the SEC. And we're at home in Neville arena where we always give that like extra 10 point cushion in Neville arena. And we let them just stay in it and stay in it. And we just looked kind of lackadaisical at times. They we got punked in the rebounding again. That's become such a trend, it feels like, this year. Uh, we, we just kind of gave up weird turnovers that they Turnover. finished on us. It just felt like a little, like the edges were off. It felt like they, like there was a time the announcer called it said, it just looks like Ole Miss's heads are turning a little quicker. And that's kind of what it felt like. It kind of felt like they just had a little more edge than us. It's that whole underdog mentality they probably brought. We just, it's it's tough. It's a long year. We just got beat by Vandy in a, in a game that we kind of gave our own pressure to with all the fans and all that. Lost at, at the buzzer. Came into this game just a little, you know, it's a long year. And we kind of, I think maybe we thought a little bit that, hey, it's the bad old Miss team. We're getting out there. We're going to try. But even subliminally, you can just be off a little bit when you know you're playing old Miss and you know it's been a long year and you know you have three big games coming up. And it just it felt that way a little bit. Maybe it's on us. Maybe we felt that way. Maybe a little tight. Um I do think this team continues to show cracks at times. I think they're not very sure of themselves late um, and very confident late. Uh, we did some nice things at the end that we'll talk about, but I guess let's we, we need to do this because it's getting late Easter time. So MVP, I think, is obvious. Jani Broom looked like one of the only calm guys on the floor for most of this game. He was 8 for 13. He had 19 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. What do you have? 6 blocks, I believe. Oof, yeah. And, and here, here's the deal. Turnover zero turnovers, three beautiful assists that led to directly to baskets. Um, and and down the stretch when we had to have it, we were down four with five or six minutes left in the game to go into that last timeout. We go on an 11 1 run, and Broom really spurred that on. He hit clutch free throws, he did it all. Um, another, I mean, you just had to have a perform, we had to have somebody step up, and he and then Wendell Green at the free throw line got us to got us to the end in this one. Yeah, I, th I knew we wouldn't have to do too long of a discussion on MVP. I thought 
you know, from our text there that I felt pretty good that Joe Knight Broom was the guy that was consistent all game long, both on offense and defense. Uh, I think he even hit a three this game. Yes, he did. One or two from three, 50% from three from Joe Knight. I believe he's at three or four this year. That's Bruce Pearl for you. He's going to let these five threes he's made. Uh, Bruce Pearl's going to let him shoot. And hey, he, you know, honestly, his percentage is probably not so terrible for his size. Uh, but yeah, Joe Knight Broom, congratulations, MVP. We're really, I really got to go back and go through the threads and find who is winning the MVP discussion. I'll have to maybe throw a poll out there and see what people think of who is winning it. Cause a lot of times, Last year, Jabari, everybody's just assumed one of the people was Walker Kessler. I think we're seeing the NBA now, but you know, I'll be curious to see who's who's got it this year. I'm sure it's between Broom and Wendell, maybe Jalen Williams. Uh, yeah, and probably Flanagan, honestly, in this game. Um, but over the year, yeah, sorry for the year. I, for the yeah. I just wanted to point out Wendell. Uh, there's a lot to get into with Wendell. I did not. I was not pleased um, with some of his. It's it's just it's it's um what's the right word? It's not I'm not calling him lazy or apathetic. It's it's casual. It's just casual sometimes. It's casual defensively, it's casual when he goes for a risky steal and blows by and doesn't get back into play. It's casual on a couple at least the first turnover in that really bad stretch where he just doesn't get the pass there crisply and like on time. But then he goes to the line and saves your butt and hits six. <laughs> Six out of six. I was about to say that that casualness, man. Ooh. He looks so, like a killer out there. I, uh, I'll change my words around. He looked, uh, he looked good out there at the free throw. I never doubted really he was going to hit those free throws, and that really says something because I'm usually the one freaking out, and he just looks so calm out he there. Has He's, missed a lot clutch, like clutch time this year. Yeah, I almost. I almost wanted to give him some shout out because this game he was so clutch down the stretch. He he's getting those like Sharif Cooper esque fouls now, where he's just a little faster than the other guy, and he's like. You almost, if you're the opposing team, you hate it because you know the guy's looking for the foul and you almost hate to reward him for it. But hey, man, if you're that much more athletic, have that much better like basketball moves and you can get somebody to foul you, then hey, that's part of the game. And Wendell's really like in the last, I don't know, 10 games felt like he's really started to figure that out. Uh, So he really got those free throws down the stretch sometimes when he shouldn't, like they should not have fouled him. I don't know why they did. It just played him aggressively, I guess, hoping he would turn the ball over. And hey, last year he did (laughs) when you did that typically. So Shout out to him. I know he's not been clutch all year for a lot of other reasons, but his free throws were clutch in this game. Well, and how about him shooting 11 two-pointers and one three-pointer? I mean, I, he was getting downhill. He did get to the rim some in this game. He got on a couple little solo fast breaks almost, and he didn't really force those threes. And um, we'll talk about I mean, Auburn ultimately won the shooting battle in this game from all three levels. They shot better from the field. They shot better, a little marginally better from three. And then they really um, 22 out of 24 at the line for our boy, Ben Young, 92%. You know, that's how you pull out a game that maybe, maybe you don't deserve to win. I already have the stats pulled up over here, so I can't help myself, but uh, you know, I love a block party. And so it's great to see Joe and I get six in this one. And we just, you know, we got so hyped for the block party this year. We thought we'd bring it back again. Uh, maybe we're just too spoiled, but doesn't we brought Joe Knight Broom in. Show how irrelevant the block party <laughs> is, though, doesn't it? I guess so. I just I miss it. I just love when we have a special st- statistic. Right now, uh, Joe Knight's th- third in the league with two point three blocks per game behind Liam Robinson at Vandy and Colin Castleton at Florida. And then for team wise, we are also second in blocks per team behind Florida. They have one fifty one. We have one forty six. Uh, so I don't know. Top 10. Top, top 10. So Florida must be top five or mm-hmm. above us. So we're still doing it. Uh, Florida's got ahead of us. Uh, I would love to shout it out more, but you know, whatever. A uh, couple more fun stats for Joe and I. I. I got, you know, he's got MVP this game, which is the biggest award you can get in my mind. But uh, I keep seeing these lists of like 
top five, top 10 transfers this year, the ones that worked out the most. And Joe Nye, man, in my head, he's got to be top 10. He's leading the team for the most part. I think if we do the stats by the end of the year, I think we're going to find out that Joe Nye's probably our biggest MVP this year. He's scoring like 15 plus average a game. I'm pretty sure it feels like there's a, these 20 point games have really just uh, kept accumulating. I got 19 this game, but these like 15 plus games have really accumulated. I'm looking at the stats for the year here. He's second in the league for rebounds at 8.9, only behind the freak Oscar Sheway. No one's going to catch Oscar Sheway now. He's just, he's one of those one of a kind guys. Uh, he's also one, two, three, fourth in field goal percentage at 52%. So he's, he's getting in there. And then the last stat we have SEC wise uh, with a player on it is Wendell. Wendell is fourth in the SEC with assists per game. So just some fun stats I had pulled up here. Broom, I mean, uh, the the announcer today on the broadcast was the first time I've heard anybody push him for newcomer of the year, you know, transfer of the year in the SEC, and he definitely has a case. Um, I've been saying since conference play started, again, kind of like Walker, you know, Walker really elevated his play as the year went on. I, I feel like Broom's doing the same thing. It looks different, and he's not Walker Kessler. But, man, for a team that just needs steady offense, and, and he provides a little bit of swagger, too um that i is it 90 percent of it i've liked this year there's sometimes it's where it's a little much but i like that he kind of honestly he feels like one of the only guys on this team that kind of consistently brings that edge is is that a, is that an award they actually give now so they do they give player of the year freshman of the year and newcomer of the year because I, I would actually like that i think they should differentiate between freshman and newcomer because the new transfer portal is just gonna make that thing so squirrely we're not gonna have any more freshman win or maybe it'll be either way i think they're they should be separate i, I would love to see him win something like that they had it in the other sport yeah well i hope they do we'll call for it if it, you know if it doesn't so we'll 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 reward him uh if they don't do it in the sec but if we're looking at some more stats here i mean we can talk player we can talk stats i'm, I'm looking down the list here 35 percent from three uh that's always man anything above 30 for us is a big deal and anytime we end up in a close game at home against the worst team in the sec and shoot over 30 percent from three i'm always like man what did we fail at otherwise because Anytime we can hit over 30% at home, I feel really good. Uh, let's see. Free throws are huge. Ben Young, shout out. Uh, we won this game at that free throw line. It feels like a little bit. Well, 92% from the free throws, 22 of 24, and they went 20 of 30. We just keep giving up these these free throws. We are fouling a lot. Uh, I think it's just it's tough defense, but also we don't get them as much. So like we've complained about some of the referees, and sometimes it is the referees. But sometimes it's also we don't drive the same way other teams do. And then also we're aggressive on defense. So that's a bad recipe for the other team getting way more free throws attempts. So thank God we hit 22 of 24 because they you know, they only got uh, two less free throws than us. They just had a lot more attempts. Some of that deserves some ne- Neville Arena credit a little bit. Um, teams do struggle at times to hit their free throws there. It's the uh, coconut yeah. man. The coconut man has called is a game changer. How do we send the coconut man to Nashville? Nashville Auburn Club. Get that boy up here. Get him in Nashville. And then March Mass, we make it. Got to get the coconut man. Well, and, uh, you know, for example, here's where fouls get weird, right? Because they ended up with, uh, you know, eight more free throws, but they were fouling us the last minute. You know, really, they oh, had I didn't think about that, yeah. But but we ended up with the same number of fouls as them. You know, so sometimes, and a big chunk of that was one of our weaknesses which was offensive rebounds. Um, that's been one of our good things all year. We actually even we we tied them defensive rebounding. But when you give up 17 offensive rebounds to that old Miss team, that's pretty devastating. I, I disagreed with something you said 
you know, you said it's been a problem all year. I would love to see some numbers on that. I have not felt like rebounding is a massive problem for this team. Um, it, it actually caught me today as a little bit of a surprise to see how much they gave up on the offensive glass. I feel like it, maybe it's because we have such high expectations for this defense and because yeah. the offense is so bad, we just feel like they have to be locked in for this team to do what we need them to do. And so every time they don't lock in, which has been maybe every three or four games, it feels like it, it always really hurts. And yeah, we lost the offensive rebounding battle 17 to seven. So they got 10 more than us. And it was some brutal moments too, especially even at the end of the game, I think we gave like three in a row and they hit a three to tie us up or get us close. Uh, if the, if we had lost this game, offensive rebound disparity there was going to be what we were going to talk about. Or maybe free throws again, because if, if we were losing, uh, you know, we wouldn't have gotten all those Wendell free throws down the stretch. We, we're fourth in the league in rebounding, by the way. I know. Yeah, I just looked that up. I was kind of hoping my point would be right. I could say, ah, oh, we're 11th or something. You know? but, but your point's a great one. Your point is a great one. I think we've done it pretty well all year. And when we haven't, it's felt really bad because we know we can't give teams so many second chances because we know our offense isn't always reliable. Well, and so. if we think about some of our bad losses, that's a big one there too. It's one thing when we lose the battle to Alabama or some of these other good teams at Tennessee or something like that. We don't really think about it as hard. When we lose to Texas A&M and Georgia and Memphis, and I can't remember if the Vandy game had probably a bad disparity too with that tall seven-footer they had. But when you lose those kind of games, those are the games you really think about. Man, we gave them so many second-chance points. They were, Our defense, that's the other thing too, when our defense is so locked in, and then we give up the offensive rebound and they score you. Man, what was the point of how good that defense was when we give it up and then we can't get it back on offense? I just, you really feel it. We're a very good offensive rebounding team. So as bad as giving up 17 is, it's also pretty rare that we only get seven of our misses. Um, of course, we didn't miss as much, quite as much today as some other games. But, you know, uh, the glass was a problem. I thought that I give Ole Miss a lot of credit. I thought they ran really good offense. I thought they ran a lot of tough sets to guard. I thought um, we struggled with communicating through screens and um, switching out. We we kind of settled in there late in the game. I think we made some good adjustments, but it just wasn't good enough. The, the defense wasn't good enough on our standard. And and really, if it had been in the first half or early in the second half, we would have had a double-digit 10, 15, 20, 25-point lead. And I think it just goes to show you, I've been saying this all year, we – as fun as it is to kind of go score 90 against Missouri and blow people out and score a lot of points and go fly up and down the court. I just don't think that's who this team is. I don't think that's who we are. And when we get away from that identity and we, we let up, you know, 20% defensively and then the rebounding, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> I'm just, I think we really have to hang our hat on that defense. You want to play a little game with me real quick? Uh, I got these statistics up and it's, it's been kind of fun to play with them here. All right. What, what two teams have a worse three-point percentage than us. Oh, gosh. Um, Only two teams in the entire SEC shoot worse than us. Mississippi State is one of them. Nice. Got one. Uh, so South Carolina. Nope. One more one more guess. I'll let you do it. Um, I bet you'll get it this time. I don't think it's LSU. Is nope. It? Nope. Um, I'm giving you all kind of hints here. Van, uh, Vandy? No, no, Vandy. <laughs> This is bad podcasting. Ole Miss. <laughs> Two, the both the Mississippi teams. Uh it's that that says something about the game we played again tonight, but you know, also says something about Mississippi. It feels like they're always at the bottom of statistics like that, especially in basketball. So mm-hmm. fun little stats. Maybe we'll do another one before the end of the game here or the end of the I, I do think we should point out two. I want to point out two things, and maybe we can talk about a couple of players. Um 
three things real fast though. Turnovers were a huge problem early in the conference season. We cleaned it up. We only had 12, which isn't an awful number, but man, nine steals for Ole Miss live ball turnovers. Ole Miss was in transition. They were getting easy baskets. Wendell was back defending a one-on-three like three different times. And most of that, a couple of those were his fault. So we just can't, and again, it goes to that defensive identity. We can't give people free points, and it felt like it was just daggers to us today. I think that was huge. Bench points. Um, 20 to 8 Ole Miss. And, and 8 points. What happened? What it's happened good. when our bench was supposed to be the thing we well, relied on? The deep, the depth, man. Chance and Johan went away. That's part of it. Chris Moore got hurt and has never been the same. Of course, he was a starter back then. And then we know, I mean, everybody loves Leor and Dylan and Trey and Chris Moore, but like, and then KD, like, it, you just don't know what you're getting. And, and we are not 10 deep offensively like I think Bruce thought we might be at this point in the year. Is this where we talk about, uh, you, you mentioned steals, how bad the steals were this game that led to points from it. Is this where we talk about how bad KD's four steals were? You got four, right? And just how brutal they were down the stretch. Turnovers, you mean? Yeah, turnovers, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, they were, they were brutal. It was like three possessions in a row. KD threw the ball away, one really bad behind. Like he was trying to save and just threw it underneath the basket, basically. I mean... I, I hate to always be ranting on KD. Actually, I don't hate to do it. He's just bad. It's so he's so loud when he plays such a bad game. He had uh four points, four turnovers. Come on. It's bad. Um, it really the second half, I think we ended up with seven or eight in the second half. It was ugly. And and they they avalanched on us. We just kept turning it over. We weren't getting shots up. It started, if I believe, if I remember correctly, with a Wendell to Flanagan pass that was lackadaisical and got picked off and went the other way. Then there was a, mis- a miscommunication with Flanagan and Wendell, like a couple possessions later where he was rounding this, this cut and Wendell thought he was going out. So I don't know whose fault that was. There's another one. So AD turned it over two or three times in that, AD, set, in that, in that it was a 13 0 run by Ole Miss that really made this game. It could have been gone either way where we could have blown them out. We would be talking completely different about this game, but yeah. they went on that 13 0 run we had a lot of turnovers. Yep. Luckily, eventually, we either called a timeout or we just had a TV timeout. And we took KD out and put Zep in, and we rode those starters pretty much the rest of the way. And I was texting, man, the depth has uh, shrunk up a bit here when we're in a close game down the stretch. It turned into a starters the last, like, what, five to six minutes? But that's every game. I, 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 I That's literally every game. So I, that's fine. Um, it, it is interesting, the KD-Zep thing. It kind of depends on the game who's finishing at that position. But every other position is playing – I mean, these were honestly exactly the minutes that they've been playing almost every game all year. So I don't really think – I don't think the depth is showing up in the minutes. I think the depth is showing up in the production and for a team that desperately needs any offensive firepower. You saw in the Vandy game, you know, eight points career high from Leor was like, oh, my gosh. And then KD hit a three late that tied the game. Like any little thing for this team that works, it it feels so incredible because we just aren't getting anything – from from those guys when KD was scoring you know he scored double digits five out of six or four out of five like that's huge that's huge for this team I know we didn't win as many games we wanted but we need those offensive weapons it can't just be you know broom and green and then a quiet Jalen and Flanagan doing okay like that's not enough it's been uh, two years in a row where we've kind of had a position that we've really zeroed in on. It's like, man, if we could just get some freaking production from this. Last year was the three position with Cambridge and Flanagan. It was just 
a black hole of offense and a black hole of anything good, honestly, other than some oops from, from Cambridge this year's the two position. Katie's just, when he's bad, he's loudly bad. And Hey man, he did have one or two games this year. Where he looked like himself from last year, but it's been few and far between. And the Zep is of course, always tenacious on defense, but at this point with how bad the offense is and the rest of the team needs some help, his defense is just not making up for this lack of offense really at the shooting guard position where you kind of, should be relying on some open threes getting hit and should be relying on those points coming. So we'll probably do an off season pod and we'll be paying attention to on, we'll do some dumb, what would we do as a coach situations on recruiting and, you know, the Zeps heading out this year, which will, will it'll be a shame to see a guy that's that great defensively head out. But the one decent thing will be that opens up an easy slot for Bruce to be like, Hey, we do have to replace that. And if that replacement is better than KD and a starter, then Hey, we, that's just what happened. We had to get the best player we could at the two. Yep. Three is going to be a little weirder, but you know, last year we just assumed uh, uh, the other three. How, how am I blanking on the name right now? The other three. Came, no. Uh, blanking. So Chris Moore. Sorry. <laughs> blanking on Chris Moore. We just assumed he'd be gone. Honestly, after last year, we just kind of assumed he'd be processed or whatever the new, term is for him he stuck around and hey man we we need him and i'm glad we had him this year it's been up and down with him but i think it'll be another year where we just kind of assume one of the two of flanagan or chris moore is gone i'm afraid flanagan is going to try the nba again and just say screw it and go no matter what but uh you know that's a lot about recruiting things you know we still have a couple more games to go i don't know if you want to talk more about players i know we want to keep this one a little quicker so if you want to turn the corner on yeah talking next games and around the sec we could get into that yeah um you want to mention Jalen real quick? You can't I do. Help I do. Yeah, I was, I was seeing if there was anybody else. Um, uh, Jalen, 12 points on seven shots. He's very efficient. He's the only efficient player on this team consistently. Um, I wish we could get him more shots, but we're 29 games or 27, whatever we're into this season, and it's the same story over and over again. We he's can't force. We he's can't show. He's still showing glimpses. I'm he's curious. Good. He's good. Yeah. He's, I'm curious. The question I asked on text is, do you think those glimpses, will he get better if he stays on the team next year? Do you think he's like a guy that we need to keep investing in? Like, hey, sure, this year it didn't really work out, like turning him into a superstar. But could we keep pushing this year? It's like, hey, at any moment, this guy is going to break through. And if it's not this year, we're hoping at least by next year. Well, and look, I've never thought Jalen was a superstar. I, I think he's good enough to be a top three player on this team. I think he's been one of the best three players on this team all year. Um, it's frustrating at times how quiet he can be, but he is having his best year by far, in my opinion, as an Auburn player. I do think he could get marginally better if he decided to come back. He also might just want to go to Europe and make money, and that's fine. Um, so, do you think he has that next gear? Do you think it's like a next gear worth investing in? Like, the, like I, I'm just trying to think more long term with Jalen. Like, should we keep pushing it and say, hey, man, baby, by next year, should we be? Are you saying would I kick that? him out if he wanted to come back? No, I'm not kicking out necessarily. I'm just curious. Like, I've been thinking about that with, like, how this team is going to be built next year. We're getting late in this year. How much of it is like, all right, well, this year, we're going to be watching to see how these guys develop the, by the end of this year for next year. You know, we we need I mean, I think for next year we need him to come back Um, because unless you believe because are you going to play Johan at the five are you going to play I mean do you think Johan's going to be good is he going to stay Chris Moore we've seen how that works at the four at least since his injury just hasn't I think he's a better fit at the three but we're prioritizing Leor there um I you know I, I think we would and, and we don't have as you've said it would have to be a transfer who knows what kind of transfer we could get I I think Jalen is 
fine. Like he's not the problem with this team. Um, and I think he would be a really good solid player to have back next year. So I hope that happens as a fan of his. And I, he's shooting almost 40% from three. So let's just calm down on him not being good this year. He's shooting close to what Jabari shot. So. All right. Well, let's turn the corner maybe real quick to uh, our next three games at, at Lexington, at Kentucky. Haven't won there since the 80s. That'd be a huge deal. It would be, uh, you know, even with this this year that's not been maybe to, to some people's expectations, if you can make history like that, you can change the trajectory of like the idea of this team. Just break, just do one thing that breaks the mold, one thing that makes that history. And I'll be pretty like, hey, man, at least there's that got checked off. Then we go at Bama midweek, then back at home for Tennessee. And man, the season's going to be wrapping up real quick. Like, yeah, um, you know, only guaranteed four games left. So hopefully we get a fifth one in March Madness. But um, yeah, huge opportunity. I, I would argue, especially these next two. I mean, if we could win in Rupp or in Tuscaloosa, you know, <laughs> that's something. And, and that would be the moment you're looking for. That would be our 20th win. It would secure our bid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so big opportunities. And I think people just need to go again. I'm going to do the same thing I did the last time. Hopefully it works out better. I, I just want one. I'm not asking for much. Can we get one of these last three beating Tennessee at, at home? The last, uh, game of the year would be really nice. Even if Tennessee's has the same record as us, which is pretty wild. They have the same sec record as we do now at nine and six. Um, we're tied for fourth. We're tied for that spot for the double buy. And we would obviously be able to make ground on that if we could somehow beat Kentucky head to head. So still a ton to play for, not just the NCAA tournament. We're in a decent position, but it's just the difficulty of these last three. It's going to be tough. Hey, we could change the whole trajectory of the season if we pull some of these wins off. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Uh, there was a couple games on tonight. Uh, LSU beat Vandy, which was kind of an upset because LSU is right there. They'll miss on worst team in the league. Uh, Kentucky went into Gainesville and beat Florida, which was disappointing. No Colin Castleton for Florida, but I was hoping they'd, you know, Kentucky's been maybe turning the corner just a bit on some of theirs. So we'll see how they're feeling in Lexington us. And then the last game that we we're going to have to talk about some serious stuff. Briefly, Alabama sadly won 78, 76 in overtime at South Carolina in Columbia and Brandon Miller scored 41 points in South Carolina. I told myself I would keep my opinions to 30 seconds. Matt can do whatever he wants. Uh, there was a tragedy at the LMA basketball team, and uh, some people, a person was murdered, and he was involved. He brought a gun to the scene of the crime, and uh, it's very upsetting, and it reminds you kind of uh, the sad – like it, it takes you out of the sport a bit, and it's sad that we have to talk about this. It's sad that he's on the court, so we have to talk about this. It's not the first time an Alabama player feels like they got away with it. Look up their – F-ball player that got away with Louisiana. I can't remember his name right now. It's just, uh, I don't know. It made me sick, made me sad. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I hate the reaction of all the fans defending him. He just shouldn't be playing. He shouldn't be playing. Well done. 30 seconds right there. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to add a ton. Um, you know, none of us, it, it's part of the, the, the rational part of me wants to hope and assume that they're, is more to that that clears him but um man it, it's the the longer this goes on for him he's a tremendous player you said 41 of their 78 with everything going on around it like he's a he's a great player but the fact that none of that came out and you and i've been around auburn long enough to know how the media works in that state um 
it is pretty remarkable that Nate Oates could be there. And it's almost like AL.com gave him an opportunity. Like, hey, we're about to run this story. We're going to ask you about this situation. And he completely brushed it off. Had the famous, you know, wrong place, wrong time thing. Had a few quotes in there that were just so bad. And I texted you guys before the story came. I was like, that's weird. Like, why is he commenting on that? And if that was his solution for how to handle this, when a story's coming out that's going to link him to the crime scene with a vehicle, with a weapon, um, and some other things that, you know, maybe are a stretch. But, like, it is pretty wild when you think back over the whole history of Auburn you know, and really the SEC and college sports in general, the things people have been suspended for and sat down for while investigation. We've joked on this podcast, Sharif Cooper literally, literally did nothing and sat out half a year. That's a different thing. And whether you want to say it, he's not charged with anything or whatever. I, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, I'm not going to try to get on a moral high horse. I just, I, I find it troubling uh, the timing of everything and a lot of the things that have come out, you mentioned it's a super terrible tragedy that at this point, a lot of this Alabama team was involved in that because of their connections with Darius Miles. And honestly, I don't even know what Darius Miles did that he's part of this capital murder thing. And and this is me not knowing the story. I'm not like researching Alabama basketball stuff. I, he's one of the, he and the shooter, right? Are the two guys that are like currently all right, I can't help it. You're right. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I have to I have to open my mouth. Like, what did uh, he do? What did Darius Miles I'm do? I'm not some some lawyer or anything like that. And I want to do twofold things. Uh the big defense of him is that he didn't know the gun was there or something when it was handed off to the two other guys. There was two other guys, another player and the friend of the other player. The argument for not charging him supposedly been he didn't know what the guy was going to do with the gun. He didn't know the gun was his backseat, all these things that seem half truce. Uh the biggest weird part, though, is that him bringing the gun to the other player who then gave it to the other guy and the other guy shot it and killed this single mom. So them two get charged and the other guy got charged because he gave the gun to the guy that shot him. But the guy that gave the gun to the guy that shot him, that drove the gun to the guy who gave the gun to the guy who shot him. He's not I guess he's not involved because you just have to give somebody their property. So I'm not exactly sure why the other guy who gave the other guy a gun is not the same story. Hey, he just gave him some property. He didn't know what was going to happen the same way that Brandon Miller didn't. Well, and ultimately it's been really disgusting, honestly. On both I hate points. that we have to talk about it. That's the biggest thing. I hate that we have to talk about it. It's gross and disgusting. And this is supposed to be like a, there's so many bad things in the world and talking basketball and sports is supposed to be nice and fun and clean and like a, a escape from these bad things. And here we are talking about it. No. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up was the failure of sports journalism that I think you were hitting on a bit. And I have a big take on that, that you've seen, we've all seen it as Auburn sports fans. When Cam Newton stole either bought a stolen laptop or stole a laptop and had a whole situation in Auburn. Oh my God. The sports journalism world was tearing him apart and tearing into anything they could find a basketball player and his teammates killed a person and they just, there was like a whole thing in, in Reddit, different places. It was just like, we, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. It's, it's off the field. It's gross. It's too hard to talk about. We're not going to talk about it. And it kind of gave sports journalists a pass to say, this is beyond sports. We're not going to look into it. Even though they've looked into things beyond sports constantly, they're always looking into things beyond sports. So much crime. So, so much uh, Baylor and Joe Pot, Penn State. This was all covered by sports journalists and dug into by sports journalists. And that's why we know about these things. They gave it a pass. They gave us a pass. And a month later, the only reason we know about this stuff and we know Brandon Miller's involved 
is because the police came out and made a statement and then they had to cover it. So it's just, you know, I think that's what you were getting at, that they just did not cover this the way they've covered so many other college sports stuff. It says a lot how uniform the criticism has been from national people. Like, and I think people from outside the state of Alabama maybe don't fully understand. Like, it's almost like, and one of the big takeaways from national writers is like, well, how is this just coming out now? Like, where is this? It's been weeks, over a month, right? I mean, it's been a long time. It was a failure by AL.com and a failure by local sports journalists not looking into because it was bad form. They kept saying that over and over again. Don't talk about this. Not a sports rivalry. All these things. Don't look into it. Don't talk about it. If you're trying to talk about it as an Auburn sports fan or any other places, you're trying to use a sports rivalry in a tragedy. No one looked into it. No one talked about it. Yeah. So and and so bringing it back to the basketball court for Alabama, like obviously fantastic season. They're a great team. Um, this is going to follow them the whole way at this, the way they handled it. I think if they had sat him for a few weeks while they were gathering information and, you know, even if he, if he came back soon, I think people would be much more okay. But now you've backed yourself into a corner where, um, you know, at this point, they're not going to sit him. They came out, his lawyer and people came out today, they're going to play him and it is going to follow them every game the rest of the way. Uh, They almost lost to a bad South Carolina team on the road tonight. And it took a, crazy overtime game to do it and maybe they're gonna run through they play arkansas who by the way has their top player back and they're playing much better they're a game behind us after that really bad start so they have arkansas this week and then they are it's setting up potentially if a&m can win at ole miss and mississippi state which are winnable it's hard to win on the road but if they win those two they're going to play alabama next saturday for a chance to win the sec and potentially steal the title if Alabama were to lose to Arkansas. So that scenario is very much in play. And not that that's important in the, all the crap we're talking about, but I hate that it's not, I guess what we're supposed to talk about you know, is the actual sports. It sucks. And we don't it want Alabama factor. We don't want Alabama to win the sec. So that's what I'm and, rooting for selfishly. It, it sucks that that is. And, and another little aside here, we know how heated this rivalry can get. We've seen it. We've been the victims of it with Harvey Updike poisoning our trees because of the whole furor that the media did around Cam Newton. That's a huge part of why Harvey Updike, a fringe, insane Bama fan that felt like he was supported by our parents, poisoned our tree. It's going to be some insane stuff. Like the fringe people are going to see something beyond sports yeah. and it's going to get nasty. And it's only getting nasty because they couldn't, Think beyond sports and sit this guy. Get this guy over the team so we can just talk about sports. We've kind of got this cold war, whatever, that we know the rules. We know, like, things that you're allowed to say and things you're not. Then you throw this in the mix. You bring in, like, real, real morals, real freaking issues on top of a 10 out of 10 heated rivalry. Things are going to get nasty. Yeah. You know, I just hate that. It's That's why you avoid this. This is why you don't play them. And the thing that I was thinking about, we, we've already broken the rules so many times. I'm just gonna just gonna roll with it. It reminded me, I, I'm sure Alabama fans when all this came out was had that like moment, like a lot of Auburn fans did in 2010 when the big news came out about Cam. It was like, oh no, not this year, not right now, not this. And and again, just think about what we were talking about. We were talking about Mississippi State allegedly paying him money to go to school there, so that means Auburn paid him too. And like that's that was what that was, and it felt like. It felt like a huge, massive weight on all of us. Can like this? We were just the the villains of the world. Cam Newton was the scummiest guy you've ever seen in your life. His fake smile, all this stuff. Oh my god! 
Screw Thayer Evans. I hope he never works another day in his life. I heard he's I heard he's not even in sports journalism anymore. I looked it up not that long ago. He's like he was like at sports journalism and then he was like in recruiting and now he's not even involved at all. And he shouldn't you, have ever you been. Remember, uh, you remember Joe Shad? He was a big mm-hmm. part of that. He ended up like as a Miami Dolphins like beat writer for some local paper like last Pete, year. Pete Thamel is still kicking around. I still that's one of the last ones. It's like every time I see Pete Thamel uh, break something, I'm like, how is this guy still respected? anyway it's got a little sideways but we had to talk about it like this is obviously the main story and and for Alabama the sad thing is no matter what they accomplish in the next month or so they are in line to you know potentially win another SEC championship match ours from last year they could who knows maybe win the SEC tournament maybe they'll make make a final four I don't know they never have maybe they will this year but wherever they go the next few weeks this is going to rightfully be part of the narrative and part of the story. And it, it, it speaks for those other players who are on this team. But ultimately, I, I just think the longer this goes on and they clearly are playing this long game where they're going to play them, like, it's going to stick to Oates, I think. I, I think this is going to stick to Oates in Alabama more than it. Brandon Miller's going to be gone by next month anyway, no matter how this plays out. Like the school and the coach and all this, like, this is going to hang around and it's going to be on this massive stage with this huge spotlight of March Madness. It just grosses everything up. It grosses. It, it makes me so gross. It makes me gross. I'm be watching the rest of their games and wondering in a game like this, Brandon Miller threw it in the other, like I, I you know, these sports journalists and ESPN would love for this minute, a quiet game from Brandon Miller. But they didn't have to play the highlight rule. And now they have to play the 41 point performance of Brandon Miller and talk about it and figure out for them what that means. Either they're going to be cowards and not bring it up at all. And just let the sports washing happen. Look up sports washing. You know what sports washing is. The Middle East is chock full of its cutter in the World Cup and all that. That's what could happen here. They could just sports wash this. It's too hard to talk about. They already did it a month ago. They sports washed this. It's, it just sucks to talk about this. It sucks I'm going to be watching the announcer's voices and saying, how are you about, How are you talking about this? Are you talking about the beginning of the game? Are you going to talk about the middle? Are you going to talk about, you know? And, and based on tonight, I know this was the first game since all this, but I mean, it's all over the place. I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's going to be part of the storyline. You know, maybe the Mark, NCAA tournament committee isn't going to like how much this is going to be. I, I don't know how you get around it, honestly. I, I don't know how you don't talk about it. Anyways, that's that's our whole way more than 30 second shtick. Yeah. I hope that doesn't get clipped out as us bad Auburn people talking about it. But we had to talk about it. It's a huge thing. It's probably one of the biggest things that's happened in college basketball, at least in the SEC in a long time outside of the sport. Uh, other than yeah, I can't even, I can't even think of anything similar. We don't even know how to talk about it. So. And, and look, you can call Auburn people crazy or wanting to like capitalize on the rivalry or whatever. I have not seen a single local writer or national media member come out and be like, "Yeah, everything's fine here." Like I don't know what the big deal is. I've seen like one Twitter account do that. So I mean, you can think Auburn people and the SEC is just out to get you all you want, but that's just not the case uh, in this scenario. I don't think. Yep. It's, it's just, it stinks. It's what a, what a downer way to end the podcast, but Hey man, we got another win in the sec. It's a big deal. Enjoy every single one of them from the reigning sec champs, uh, man, war Eagle, man. Do you, you want to say anything about, you know, Saturday? Nah, well, we'll, we'll have uh, let us know what you think. If you're still on, uh, listening, which I hope you are on this frustrating game. Uh, we've been putting some of these interviews before, the uh, breakdowns and I know from me and Matt's own discussions of how we like the podcast we like to dive right into the podcast we don't like the ads and the chit chat and all this stuff so I, st- I still think putting the interviews at the front is fun and a good way to like for our guests and we combine episodes 
let us know what you think. We'll try to timestamp them so that you guys can fast forward if you don't want to listen to them. We're going to have another one on Saturday that should be fun. It's going to be a little more chit-chatty. You know, I know we just had Nashville Auburn Club on, which is not strictly basketball, but I thought that was fun. Simeon so, Bowers was fun. We'll keep trying to have some of these like people come on at the beginning. So just let us know what you think. If you're if you're adamant about how that should be positioned, we can always work around it maybe. So just let us know. All right, man. Well, War Eagle, and if anybody has a ticket to Rupp, I am 50-50 about whether I'm going or not. So uh, hit, a, hit a brother up. Uh, hit up the Twitter and Instagram page. If you've got an extra ticket and you want somebody to – I, I can also just buy a ticket, but I'm very much, I've got a lot of, anyway, we'll see if I'm there and if I'm on the pod, but hopefully we can win and rup for the first time in my life. That would be amazing. Let's, let's party like it's the 1980s, baby. That's right. <laughs> All right. Worry, Matt.